guys something for me today. I want you all to think of one vacation where you had an absolutely amazing time. Everybody see that? Some of your smiles, I don't think I want to know about that vacation. But you know what I mean? That one vacation where you just have an amazing, amazing time. Right now, I want you to think of the last day of that vacation. Am I the only one that on the last day of a good vacation kind of gets so depressed I can't really enjoy it? Anybody else do that? You're thinking, oh, this is the last time I'm going to see the ocean rolling in. Anybody else do that? Yeah, I just want you to think about that because in that moment, you just know that the excitement's over and it's back to the grind. I mean, it's back to the everyday life, the fantasies, over. Well, I don't know if you ever noticed it, but we have times like that in our spiritual lives, too. Because we have those times, it's kind of like vacation, we have those times when we are on the mountaintop. When we're just experiencing God like we've never experienced Him before. Anybody ever have those moments where you just have this clarity with God? It just feels like you can hear Him, you can feel his presence, and you see him working in, in so many ways. And we have those times, and it's a mountaintop because we're so excited. It's like being on vacation. Everything just seems amazing, right? And we call those our mountaintop experiences. Anybody ever heard that? You know, well, you've got to enjoy it while you're on the mountaintop. You know, that's, that's what that is, those, those mountaintop moments, right? We all have those. Moses had several mountaintop moments. There's so many who did in the Scripture. I'm just going to pick on Moses uh, but, I mean, think about some of the highlights of Moses' life, some of these mountaintop moments, right? I mean, times when he was just experiencing God like no other. Like, for instance, when he received the law. Can you imagine being alone on a mountain and having God speaking audibly to you and directing the future of your nation, just speaking to you and, and writing these laws down on a tablet? I mean, I think that's a mountaintop moment, wouldn't you think? I mean, I'd trade in a trip to Virginia Beach for that. What about you? Right? I mean, that's a mountaintop moment. How about when he parted the Red Sea? I mean, that's got to be a mountaintop moment, right? I mean, he holds up his staff and the water just peels back. And it doesn't just peel back. It's not like they're running through on mud. The children of Israel get to walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. And then when their enemies pursue them from Egypt, God just swallows them up. I mean, that's a, that's a mountaintop moment, Right? But sadly, what goes up, what? Must come down. How many people know what I mean about when you come down from the mountaintop moments? Before I even explain. You guys know what I'm talking about? I mean, that has to happen. It's kind of like at the end of your vacation. Sometimes we're on the mountaintop. Sometimes we're on our way down the mountain. That's why I've called this message coming off the mountain today. For instance, when Moses was receiving the law from God, I mean, audibly hearing God giving him directions. Can you imagine how stoked he was? And he's probably thinking, I cannot wait to go down to my people who are eagerly awaiting my arrival and talk to them about how God has spoke to me. And he comes down and they are making idols out of gold and worshiping them. I mean, they were just in complete chaos. Talk about a buzzkill. I mean, to come down and find out, hey, listen what God told me. Oh my gosh, you're worshiping a golden cow. I mean, that, wouldn't you say that's kind of a valley moment after the mount? How about this? When he parted the Red Sea, some of the same people who crossed through on dry land and saw their enemies consumed behind them still chose to reject God after that moment. I mean, that's, that's one of those coming off the mountain moments. 
And I'll tell you what, often when we're coming off our mountain is when we're going to face the biggest struggles. You ever notice that? When things are going really good, sometimes being, you know, the pessimist I can be, sometimes when everything's going good, I'm thinking, oh man, should I enjoy this? Because I know there's a down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you know what's going to happen. Because you have to come off that mountain. And when you do, the enemy is going to make sure you face struggles immediately. And the reason he's going to do that is because he wants you to as quickly as possible to forget about the powerful moments you had on that mountaintop. He wants you to forget the God of the mountain. He wants you to forget what God is capable of, so he throws those struggles at you immediately. And today we're going to see this is what the disciples had to face. Now remember last week we saw that Peter, James, and John experienced, I mean, one of the biggest mountaintop moments ever. I mean, right? They get to go up and see Moses and Elijah's spirit communing with Jesus. I mean, it was just this amazing experience right in front of them. And then they hear the voice of God speaking. I mean, that's about as mountaintop as you get, right? I mean, this is just this huge, huge moment for them. And I think this experience was as much for the disciples as it was for Jesus. Because see, what it revealed about Jesus was that he was in cooperation with, he was the culmination of the law and the prophets. Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets. What that was showing was that they were still behind him. He was finishing the plan. The law and the prophets, Jesus, all worked together. And for the disciples, it was kind of God's way of saying, yeah, don't get sidetracked. He really is my son. He really is important. He really is powerful. But what we're going to pick up today is they're making their way down the mountain. And whenever you're on your way down the mountain, here comes reality, right? Here comes the attacks. But here's the thing. The trick to coming off the mountain is remembering your time there. Don't we quickly forget all the blessings God gives us on the mountaintop when we have one little struggle? Anybody ever notice that? God can do amazing things in your life for weeks, months, whatever. You're just feeling his presence. He does these miraculous things in your life. Maybe he heals someone that's close to you, or, or maybe he does something financially amazing in your life. Or maybe it's just feeling his presence and knowing that, that fellowship with him. And you just feel amazing. You're thinking, gosh, I'd love to live in this moment, the first struggle that comes along. Why, God? Well, let's have a moment of confession. How many people have ever been that big baby? Come on. Come on, you know you had a, a great mountaintop experience and one little thing hits you and you're like, why, God? See, we have to learn to draw strength from the mountains if we want to survive the valleys. And that's kind of what we're going to learn about today. Let's jump right in. We're going to be in Matthew 17, 10. Now remember, this is the moment when they had just finished the Mount of Transfiguration. And when they were up there, they saw Elijah and they saw Moses. So it made them think of a prophecy, Matthew 17, 10. And his disciples asked him, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? So they're on their way down the mountain. They started thinking to themselves, wow, that was cool. We saw Moses. We saw Elijah. Wait a minute. Isn't there, shouldn't, he, shouldn't he come back? I mean, it says that he's going to come back. So they, they have this question. And Jesus' answer is pretty cool because he's basically saying, I think you missed it. Look at this, Matthew 17, 11. And Jesus answered and said, Elijah is coming. And will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came. And they did not recognize him. But did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. Now let me clarify a few things here. When Jesus said that 
Elijah came through John the Baptist, he wasn't preaching reincarnation. Believe it or not, there are people that actually have brought that up. Maybe there is reincarnation. I mean, after all, John the Baptist was Elijah, and I'm like, wow, you missed that. That was not what he was saying. So he's not, he's not teaching reincarnation. He's not telling ghost stories. Okay, what he meant was that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. In the spirit of Elijah. Look at this in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 17. It said, it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of? In the spirit and power of what? Listen, we're not going to be that crowd that forgot about the time change. That's not who we are. I'm up here preaching after traveling 8,000 miles. Y'all can get into this. You know what I'm saying? All right, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back uh, to the children and the disobedient uh, to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready uh, a people prepared for the Lord. So the phrase here, in the spirit, is that the way it's used in English isn't quite as powerful as the way it's used in the Greek. What it means in the Greek is it means to have an attitude or disposition reflecting the way in which a person thinks about or deals with something. That's a big definition, wasn't it? Let me make that easier. Basically, in the spirit means that, that you are of the same mindset carrying on the same ministry. Is basically the easiest way to say that. See, Elijah had both spoken with and performed great miracles for God. He was the one who had prophesied about the coming Messiah. And what Jesus was saying is that what Elijah started, John picked up the mantle and finished. John was working in the same spirit, in the same ministry that Elijah was working in. If you look at this, Matthew eleven fourteen, it says, and if you are willing to accept it, John himself is, is Elijah who was to come or the one who was to finish up that ministry. So this really isn't that big of an adversity. It's just a question that they're answering when they come down. But here's one that starts to get interesting. Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 14. It says, when they came... To the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a... (laughs) I shouldn't laugh about that. I mean, have you ever felt like saying that to the Lord? Help me, Lord, my kid's a lunatic. (laughs) But I'll explain that in a minute. It says, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples... And they could not cure him. So here we go. As soon as they descend the mountain, they're immediately hit with this crowd and they're immediately challenged. And a man comes up and says, listen, I need your help. My son is a lunatic. He falls into the fire and burns himself. He falls, you know, into the water and almost drowns himself, you know, and, and he's, he's a lunatic. And what that means in the Greek is not what it sounds like to us. What the word literally means in the Greek is epileptic. So... He wasn't crazy, he was an epileptic. But somehow this epilepsy was of demonic origin. It doesn't tell us how, but somehow that had come upon that that child uh, as a work from from the devil. It was demonic, right? It was demonic, that's what had come on him. And he said, listen, I have tried everything to help him. I even went to your disciples, and they couldn't help me. I went to your disciples, and they couldn't do anything. They couldn't cast it out. Right, now I... This is big, because as we're going to see here in a minute, remember, Jesus gave them authority over demons. Remember that? They had the power to cast them out, but they they didn't cast this one out. Now, look how Jesus responds to this. 
uh, verse 17. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I what? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. Now you can spiritualize this all you want, but Jesus was frustrated. Okay, he was all man and all God, and the man side of him was going, really? Really? He says, bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. So I like it when we get to see the humanity in Jesus, right, the human side, because I know what was rolling around in his head. I gave them authority over demons. Something's wrong with their faith. Something has sidetracked them from their job. Because they should have been able to do this. This is the kind of thing that that required focus. And they should have been able to do this. And he basically says, what are you going to do when I'm gone? Have you ever said that to your kids? Anybody ever said that to your kids? And you mean it, but you're frustrated. You know what I mean? You're like, are you going to live in a room that you have to wade through underwear up to your knees to get to your bed when I'm gone? How will you eat? You You know the frustration you feel? When your kids just seem to never grow up, everybody's looking at their kids. (laughs) You know what I mean? And he was frustrated. He was frustrated. We see the humanity in here. He's like, gosh, I mean, I gave you the ability to do this, and and you didn't. You lost your focus. Bring him here. How long am I going to have to baby you? Bring him here. It was frustrating because if you look in Matthew 10.8, listen to all the things he gave them authority over. Matthew 10.8, heal the sick. He gave him the ability to do that. This is Jesus speaking. Raise the dead. That's kind of a big one, right? Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers and what? Cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. It's kind of like when you leave your kids the key to the house and go out of town and they lose it. You know what I mean? I've experienced this a time or two. Usually it's me that loses the key when my kids go out of town. Anyway. But, I mean, he's saying, listen, I gave you that ability. So why couldn't they cast that particular demon out? What was it? Was it more tough than any other demon? I mean, was this the, the WWE demon that they just couldn't handle? He explains that a little bit here in verse 19. It says, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, because of the what? littleness of your faith now remember that because of the littleness of your faith for truly i say to you if you have faith the size of a mustard seed you will say to this mountain move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting okay so jesus said the reason you couldn't cast it out is because of the littleness of your faith probably a better way to say that is you couldn't cast him out because you had not had focused serious faith all right because this demon should have been able to cast out and people say well what why couldn't they well they were distracted they lost their focus right their faith was struggling and before we make fun of them has anyone here ever had your faith struggling to where it's even hard to pray anybody ever been there You know, I know people always act like, oh, no, God and me always sit down to coffee and he talks out loud to me. Listen, there are times when something has me distracted. Even when I read, I'm not reading. You ever done that? 
where you sit down, you're three chapters in, and go, you know what, I don't know one thing I just read. Anybody ever do that? Or you start to read and wake up the next day? Anybody ever done that with slobber all over your Bible? <laughs> you know? There are times when we lose our focus and our faith wanes a little bit. Right? Their faith was waning. Something had distracted them. He said, the littleness of your faith, he was saying, your faith is not focused. You're distracted. Right? So something was hindering them from having the faith that it took to exercise this demon. Now, some people have said, and I don't know, you know, they didn't tell us what it was. Some people have said that the nine disciples who didn't get to go up to the mountain were jealous. They were upset because they didn't get to go up and experience that. Now, I don't know. I mean, it makes sense. I don't know if that's true. But I do know one thing. Whenever we harbor jealousy or any sin without confessing it, when we just hold on to it, we become completely ineffective for God. Have you been there? Do you, have you ever had that sin in your life? I'm not going to make you raise your hand. Have you ever had that sin in your life that you're just struggling to let go of? Even though you feel that God isn't using you like he could, and you're feeling yourself drift from God, you still hold on to that sin, hoping God will miss it. Anybody ever been there? I mean, that one sin, maybe you're angry with somebody, and you know, the Bible says to forgive or you won't be forgiven. But it feels so good to be angry at them. You know what I mean? Or someone hurts your feelings, and instead of going to them and breaching you know, that, 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 that weirdness between you, you just ignore them and stay bitter against them. I mean, any kind of sin, maybe this is what it was, because if they were harboring jealousy, I guarantee you, they wouldn't have had the faith to cast out that demon. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But I do know one thing. The Bible tells us, it warns us, how we will become ineffective if we have some kind of hidden sin because it will hinder our faith. Look at this, Proverbs 28, 13. It says, people who conceal their sins, what? Will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Right? So he's saying, if you're hiding something from God, if there's a sin you won't let go of, you're not going to prosper. God will not allow it. Listen, if, if your child is stealing and doing all kinds of things they shouldn't do, will you bless them? You know, it's the same thing. If we're doing something we know we shouldn't do, God won't bless us. Romans 13, 12. It says, The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor uh, of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. What he's saying is, listen, we can't be hiding our sin and expecting to be a vehicle of light. That's holding in darkness, trying to project light. It doesn't work. So something, some sin, some distraction had them struggling. I don't know exactly what it is. It may have been jealousy, but something had them struggling. Now I want to go back and look at verses 20 and 21 again, because Jesus is going to, if we look at this, he kind of gives us the answer within the text. Matthew 17, 20 and 21. And he said to them, because of the littleness of your, faith, uh, of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Now, when you read verse 20, some people totally misunderstand the point. Some people totally misunderstand the point. When it says if you have the faith as a, as a grain of mustard seed, you can remove mountains, right? See, Jesus wasn't saying that faith is the golden ticket to getting whatever you want. Have you ever heard somebody use it that way? I saw a, a pastor one time say 
The reason I got money and you don't is because I have faith and you don't. He said, those of you who are poor, it's because you don't believe. He said, I will drive my Rolls Royce past you and wave the pink slip and say, I got faith. (laughs) That's not a joke. Can you believe that? Do you really think that's what he meant? Right? Some people think that it's just a golden ticket. Oh, anything you believe will happen. See, the problem is sometimes we forget that that the kind of faith that moves mountains is not the faith that's based on us. It's the faith that's based on accomplishing God's will. Right? It's not God saying, have faith and you can have anything you want. He's saying, if you want to accomplish my will, if you want to be powerful and effective for me, it just takes that much faith, that much faith in desiring to see my will done, and nothing will stop you. You can even move mountains when they try to get in your way. It's not just saying faith in general. If you have faith in general just a little bit, because it doesn't make sense. If you look at this, the, the comparison he makes doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? He says, look at the littleness of your faith. If you only had faith that was little, because he said you have, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, that's one of the smallest seeds in the world. He says, because of the littleness of your faith, you need to have even littler faith. Does that make sense? See, that's, that's not what he was saying. What he was talking about is the littleness of your faith, meaning your faith is not important. It's the object of your faith that's important. Just having faith isn't enough. You know, there's all kinds of faith we exercise every day. I just exercised it. How many people have ever checked the credentials of a pilot before you get on a plane? Anybody? You just have faith that that airline thinks that much of you to make sure they have a great pilot. That guy could be sauced out of his mind. We don't know. But we have faith when we get on that plane and the door shuts, don't we? We have faith every time we get in our car and drive down the road that the person coming at us isn't hammered is going to cross the center line, right? Or the person coming at us doesn't drive like me, right? (laughs) We have faith. Now, will that kind of faith move mountains? Having faith that the plane won't crash, will that move mountains? No. Having faith that some car won't hit you, will that move mountains? No, the object of that faith isn't, isn't powerful. But when you have faith, just a small amount of faith, that you want to see the will of God done and He will accomplish it through you, then you can move mountains. Right? I've heard people say, listen, if you have faith, you'll be rich. If you have a little faith, you can move any mountain the devil throws in front of you. Listen, it's not what he means. Sometimes there are mountains in front of you because God wants them there. Did you know that? And you can pray your guts out and it's not going anywhere. You know what? If you find yourself constantly broke, if you find that you are struggling because you won't work, maybe the mountain in front of you is employment and God's saying, get a job. You ever think about that? And you can say, Lord, move this mountain so I don't have to work. And he's going to go, nope, I might add a few feet to it. Right? If, if the mountain in front of you is intended to be there to teach you a lesson, you're not going to move it. Right? But if you're trying to accomplish the will of God and the enemy starts throwing those mountains in front of you, then you can move them. Because the people who have just the faith of a grain of mustard seed that God will accomplish His will in their lives, nothing can get in their way. This is what he was trying to tell them. Something has hindered your faith because if you really wanted to see my will done, if you were really focused on accomplishing what I've set you out to do, you could have cast that demon out with no problem. You're distracted. Your faith is small because it's not totally in me anymore. This is what he was trying to tell them. Listen, I, 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 I can't spend enough time on this. I'd like to. But the big thing you have to remember is it's the object of the faith that makes the faith powerful. 
Because you can believe all you want that you're going to win the lottery. That doesn't mean you're going to. Right? The object of your faith there is not very strong. But if you really believe that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he'll do and put your faith in his will, you will see what he means by this statement. This is what he was trying to, to, to teach them here. Now, I think it's kind of funny how this section ends because, I mean, they just got faced with this guy who said he couldn't cast out a demon. Jesus pretty much scolds him, doesn't he? He pretty much gives him a tongue lashing, right? And then he finishes up this section, and we're going to come back to a few other points here, but he finishes up this section by saying, well, while we're on our way down the mountain, let me remind you something. Matthew 17, 22, And while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to him, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. Can you imagine, after the tongue lashing they just took, after everything that just went wrong as they come down the mountain, he goes, oh yeah, and by the way, they're going to kill me. Can you imagine how they must have felt here when they heard that? And we'll, we'll take a look at that more next week. But if there's one thing I want you to take away from this message, if there's one thing I think is so, so important here, is that there are going to be times that you're on that mountaintop. There are going to be times when everything is going right. Don't make that about you. When you're on that mountaintop, God is showing you things that will strengthen you for when you are in the valley. He's not just giving you a reprieve. When he has you on that mountaintop and you see, like, how many people here have ever had someone they prayed for that just miraculously is healed? Anybody ever have that happen in their life? Several of you? You know what I mean? Has anyone here ever prayed for a situation that was just eating you alive and, and God just works it out in such a way that you know it had to be him? Anybody ever experienced that? Right? Has God ever spoken to you through his word there's been times that i've been reading and i didn't want to read isn't that weird how sometimes he really speaks to you on the time you think you don't have time to read you know what i mean god there's been times god has just spoken to me through his word and i have a tear leaking down my face reading a story i've read a hundred times i can just feel his presence you know what i mean you ever feel him with you in that moment those are mountaintop moments those aren't just booster shots that's what we think Oh, I'm on the mountain so God can make me feel good for my terrible life. That's not what it's about. He shows you his power in those mountaintop moments so that we can store those in our memory and remember whatever we face, how powerful he was on the mountaintop. These disciples should have been thinking, listen, we just saw Moses and Elijah in spirit right in front of us talking with Jesus. We just heard God's voice coming out of heaven, speaking to us, why would we struggle to cast out a demon? The God of the mountaintop is still that powerful. When you have those mountaintop moments, remember them. And it's those mountaintop moments that will enable you to move mountains by faith when you come into the valley. It's those moments we have to remember how powerful he was we have to remember what he can do what he's capable of when the enemy's trying to throw us off track and this is what he's trying to get through to the disciples listen don't just wait for your next spiritual high store that and remember that when you face these struggles because he's just as powerful in the valley as he is on the mountaintop when you are going through struggles there is just as much of an opportunity for you to grow close to him in the valley as there was when he was blessing you on the mountain Sometimes the greatest blessings you will ever have is when you're in the valley. Anybody ever experienced that? One of your most difficult times that you've ever faced 
Sometimes that's when you will learn more about God and experience more of His power. When He sustains you in that valley, when it looks like all is lost, you think your marriage is over, and you take it to God and you start trying to, trying to dedicate your marriage back to Him and trying to set your marriage up on His principles, and He sets that marriage back where it's supposed to be and restores the love and direction of that marriage. Listen, you were in a dark spot, but you remembered the power of God and He healed you in the valley. And I bet you will remember the healing that happened in the valley more than anything that's ever happened on the mountaintop. You know what I mean? That's why we have those experiences, so that we can learn that valleys don't mean you're doomed. They're just a place to remember the power of God and trust it so that He can do something just as amazing down there as He did up there. That's what He was trying to teach these people. I'm going to go ahead and close there. I'm going to ask you, Wood, to please bow your heads. this is your first time here we always like to give a brief invitation and here's why we don't do the invitations where you ask people to come up front and do all that stuff i don't i don't do that we just like to give you an opportunity to acknowledge if god's spoken to you because i remember i remember when i was sitting in that seat and he said if you'd like me to pray for you and it just felt like god was drawing me so while every head's bowed and every eye's closed, if you're not sure where you stand with Christ, listen, no one can judge you. No one can tell by looking. Only you know if you have that relationship. I want to pray for you. I don't want to call you out or chase you down after church or email you. I just want to pray for you. Because whatever it is that's holding you back is holding you back from the greatest gift God's ever given, and it's free. So if you just make eye contact and you put your head right back down, bless those people. I'm going to pray for you. Bless those people. If you're listening online, God knows your heart. I'm going to pray for you too. But listen, the, the simplest thing anyone can ever do is trust Christ. It's easy for us. It was difficult for him. But that just displayed his great love for you. And believers, listen, I'm going to pray for us because so often we make our faith about what we can get rather than what we can do for him. I really, really want to pray that we get back to trying to accomplish His will. Because when we focus on our faith in accomplishing His will, the joy we're trying to find in everything else, we'll find in Him. Let's pray. God, I thank You so much for all that You do. I, I thank You that You love us more than we could ever deserve. I thank You for the free gift of eternal life. I just thank You, Lord, for Your love and mercy. God, I, I'm, I'm so excited and I'm so thankful that you give us not just mountaintop moments where we get to see and experience your power, but you also show us your power and show us your glory when we struggle in the valleys. Let us remember as believers that the same God that we feel close to us in our mountaintop moments that we see doing amazing things when we're on the mountain. Let us remember that same God can still do those things in the valley and maybe even more so so that we don't let our guard down when we're in them. And God, for those who haven't trusted you, I, there's so many things that can push people away from the f most simple gift you've ever given. Whatever it is that's holding them back, I pray you just remove it and let them believe that what your son did was enough. 
Because if they can do that, your word promises they'll have eternal life. I just pray they release all the things that hold them back and just trust you to be the God you said you'd be. And if they make that decision today, I pray they contact us. Or if they're a long way from here watching or listening online, I just pray they contact a good church or a believer close to them because we want them to have someone to walk with them in their new journey. And God, as we leave here today, don't let this be the only day we think of you or the only day we read your word, the only day we pray. Let us live what we profess, and every day let us let you be in complete control of our lives. Let people see you in the way we act and the way we speak so that we might be those that draw others to you. We just pray that you would keep us safe, and if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, let us come together and give you all the praise, honor, and glory you're so worthy of at least one more time. We just thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.